This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we try to give you the tools, the ideas, the information you need for your life, your family, so you can live the life you need to live. I mean, it's one thing to go live Mr. Trump's life, Mr. Bush, Mrs. Clinton's life. A lot of people are doing that right now. Are you addicted to the debate scene? Holy cow, it's happening today. The monster debate. The... uh, this is going to get crazy, I think. I think tonight CNN's going to uh, pit them against each other. It's like fight night. Fight night! 16 or so. Is it uh, 16, I believe? Maybe no. Down to 15. I don't know. Candidates. Head-to-head. GOP. And they say it's going to be different. This time, apparently, CNN's gonna, going to do a, a little bit uh, different approach. Now, nobody knows. Because they're not going to tip their hand. But many believe that uh, if CNN has its way, this second GOP debate, it's going to be much more combative and confrontational than the first. Now, do you remember in the Fox News debate, the debate a lot of times, you know, was it was just between the, the journalists, the, the spokespeople and the candidates. This time it's going to they're going to maybe try to pit the candidates against each other. Ouch. That was uh, Marco Rubio's answer <laughs> to Donald Trump. But we do have some audio. Um, I think Donald Trump feels like he has a, he has a special inside uh, attack that he's going to use to mesmerize the rest of the candidates. This is what he says he's going to do. Total lightweight. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid. You can't be just boom, boom. Total control. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. You know that yeah. is. You know, the little bing, 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 bomb, bomb. I love you very much. What is the, I don't get, what is the bing, bing, bing? Oh, no, that's his special, that's his special language. Oh, the bing, bing, bing. Uh-huh. Boom, boom, boom. It's a secret attack. It's a secret attack. <laughs> it's his finishing move. Well. Once, he, once he starts going bing, bing, bong, bong, bong. But did you hear how hard they were laughing? <laughs> like, use your words, Don. <laughs> like, stupid, you're stupid. Bing, bing, bong. That's his favorite word, I think. Dong, dong, dong. What'd you say, Donald? You heard me. I get great ratings. It's going to be a crazy fight, and you know what's going to happen? They're going to turn on. They're going to turn each other against each other. Like they're going to. They're going to basically say who has the best, you know, uh, program or policy for this, and turn it over to have one person start, and then they'll start taking each other on. And I'm pretty sure by the end you are going to hear Kung Fu Pe- Kung Fu Panda come out. You know, I heard Rand Paul is just going to go at him with both barrels. He says because oh. really he has he has nothing to lose. Oh no! <laughs> so he's going to go at him. That will be fun. Do you know who's going to have fun with all of this? Is Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Like this is the ultimate parody. <laughs> like when you even when you just said like Rand Paul's going to go after Donald, it's like what would, what would that look like? Wow. Just a little gerbil just grabbing someone's neck. Oh, then Trump will attack him back. I can't wait to hear what his uh, response will be. Yeah. 
He doesn't take it. Yeah, he doesn't take it. It's and you know, would you take it if you're the Don? No. You don't need to take it. It's kind of. Um, it's just. It's crazy town. It's it's crazy town. But uh, today the day will not be wasted um, because it's not just debate day. It's there's other things we will be celebrating today. Um, one thing to celebrate that. <laughs> <laughs> Ben just gave me a funny face. Uh, one thing we're going to be celebrating today is guacamole day. Oh, love guacamole. No, okay. And my brother makes the best guacamole. What oh. What exactly, Ben? Okay, this is the third straight day <laughs> ben. of this yeah. sale. Ben's eating some guacamole. Oh. Thanks for bringing it, Matt. Ben, you don't, you don't eat the rind. You don't eat the outside. I thought that's where all the nutrients were. Well, was. apparently that's why you're chewing it, so... <laughs> that makes you sick, doesn't it? It totally does. <laughs> Three straight days of that. Well, we do it every day for you because you want your kids to eat with their mouths shut. <laughs> so today's guacamole day. Uh, by the way, tomorrow or today is also Play-Doh Day. And Play-Doh Day is it, it's it's different than guacamole day. Very different. Let's see if you can hear the difference. Oh. Yeah, this is Ben really? eating Play-Doh. Oh, come on. Have you ever walked in and seen Ben eating Play-Doh? No. Every day. Thankfully, no. I have not. And he says it's high in fiber. Oh. So happy Play-Doh. Guac Day and happy Play-Doh Day. You know, I loved it when my, when my kids would play with Play-Doh. You just brand new bought it and they left it out and it was completely hard the next day. So, yeah. you know, they got one good use out of it and that was it. And then <sighs> some jerk mixes the colors. Oh, I hated That's that kid. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, but it beats it beats you know, th- you know playing in the street. That's true. Know what I mean? Uh huh. No one never died <laughs> playing no with one Play-Doh. Died. That's true. I hope unless they ingested too much. Yeah, too sad. Hey, uh, let's go to our headlines. Kathy's going to update us on all the headlines. Good morning, everyone. The death toll from flash floods in southern Utah has climbed to sixteen. Twelve of those coming in the town of Hilldale when two ve- vehicles filled with women and children were washed away. The other four deaths came in a slot canyon in Zion's National Park. It's pretty much like one of our worst nightmares. So literally, as soon as the rain started coming, um, people started to you know, worry about, about the flash flooding in the area. Zion Park Ranger Allie Baltris. Three other hikers are still missing in the canyon, and one is still unaccounted for in Hilldale. It's important to note that right now, as we're in the rescue recovery phase, that this is all basically hand searching and operations, no heavy equipment at this time. So it's, it's really uh, labor intensive. That was Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Light rain and cooler temperatures have helped California firefighters in their battle to contain two massive blazes near Sacramento that have burned hundreds of homes. The Valley Fire west of the city went from 15% contained to 30%, and the Butte Fire to the east of the city was 40% contained as of last night. According to Fox News, two sources close to the case in the death of an Illinois police officer say evidence suggests Joseph Glenowitz could have shot himself. On September 1st, Glenowitz radioed in that he was pursuing three suspects on foot. Minutes later, the officer was found shot and killed. Authorities are reportedly waiting for the results of ballistic tests to see if it matches the officer's own service weapon. The case is still being actively investigated as a homicide, but they say they won't rule out suicide. An innocent woman who was 
was trying to escape a shootout between two other vehicles in Kansas City last night was killed, and six children in her car were taken to the hospital after her car crashed. Another person was in critical, critical condition after being shot in the gunfire. A suspect has been apprehended. Hungary declared a state of emergency yesterday as migrants continue to flood its border. Hungary's foreign minister said its country will next build a fence along its border with Romania. Serbia and Romania are condemning Hungary's decision, trying to crack down on migrants trying to escape war and poverty in Syria. My favorite tune, Matt. Mm. I don't know about yours. Get you all excited for the second GOP presidential debate, which will take place tonight on CNN. Carly Fiorina, who was criticized by Donald Trump recently, said she'll be happy to discuss Trump's business record tonight and said Trump will, quote, be hearing quite a lot from her in tonight's debate. Meanwhile, here's what Trump had to say about women's issues. Number four. I have such respect for women. I cherish women. I'm going to take such good care of women's health care issues. You won't even believe it. But I'm surging with women. He's surging. Trump spoke aboard the USS Iowa last night, said some undocumented immigrants are treated better than veterans. Is <laughs> I'm surging with women. I'm surging. Is that a good thing? I don't know. And that'll get know. you arrested in three states. You know, it's interesting. You just hear two different sides. Women will say they love him because of what he says. But, you know, when he gets personal, like with Carly Fiorina, yeah. they don't like that. Well, I've got the best health care for women and their faces. And Those faces. <laughs> You gotta fix those uh, faces. It's not the faces, Matt. It's the persona. Oh yeah, their Come persona. On. I'm surging with women and their personas. <laughs> oh my heavens! Isn't uh, he crazy? Hey, uh, two things. First of all, this is what Carly Fiorina, I'm pretty sure, is going to do to Donald Trump tonight. Number two. Uh, we, we've. Oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say. I don't think she'll go after him personally. Oh no, she because she's not need gonna to. do what he does exactly. She'll go after his business practices, and she knows business. That's yeah. really her strength. Well, but then business. he's gonna say, "Well, you were the worst CEO in the history of, of all HP. the world." Yep. Exactly. Ironically, HP just laid off thirty thousand employees. Yep, so Carly yeah. looks really good right now. Yeah. Looking good. <laughs> well, she's thing, been away from her, from there long enough. I we, think. We've got to bring this up because uh, every time I hear it, it it, remi- it just makes me go back to days of old. Um, ben, will you play the music that you play during her news? Can you just play that for me? Um, now, listen to this, Kathy. You, re- you may not remember that this is actually ties to what we're talking about today, but... You maybe were a child in the 70s. Yes. Did you ever watch the show Chips? Yes. Or did you ever watch like One Adam 12? Not or that Emergency? One. Emergency, yes. So this music right here, did you ever watch Charlie's Angels? Yes. Okay, it'll get right here, right about here. Um, this is the music they play when in the 70s someone was driving through LA County. <laughs> can you fast forward uh, a bit? There's, can you, you might not be able to. It's there's a point in here that you're just like driving in a convertible, mm-hmm. or even Magnum PI on mm-hmm. on the island of Hawaii. I like Magnum PI. This is him driving to some really intense moment. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And then it gets a little. <laughs> you feel it? Soft and lovely. Here we go. Mm-hmm. This is it. Uh huh. This is like uh-huh. chips. Highway Patrol coming in. <laughs> Can you picture Wrapping it? up the end of their <laughs> shift, Ponch and John. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then we'll do a little oh, disco. Oh, disco. Love disco. Uh-huh. Chips. 
See, it is the exact is. same thing. It is. So I don't know why they play that for you. It's flashback to old times. Uh-oh. Oh, that's traffic music. Yeah. Oh, is this what traffic is? Oh, I didn't know this was traffic music. Okay. I thought this was just Charlie's Angels. It just brought back a lot of memories because my first girlfriend was Farrah Fawcett. I was going to say my brother. I can picture my brother's Farrah Fawcett poster oh, in his bedroom. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that was big. poster ruined more young men. <laughs> <laughs> and every girl had to have Farrah Fawcett hair. Oh, those are the Remember days. Remember that? In fact, that's our next guest. Our next guest is Michael Harris. And I thought you were going to say Farrah Fawcett. It's, I said, oh, unfortunately, she's Farrah's passed away. passed away. Yeah. That was the worst day of my life when I found out Farrah was dead. Ah, tragic. Um, she really, she really was my first girlfriend. I mean, we never met, but I. She used to look at me with those eyes. Wow. Our next guest, though, is Michael Harris. We'll take a break and come back to him. But he is the uh, the author of the book called "The End of Absence: Reclaiming What We've Lost in a World of Constant Connection," and he's going to have us. Um, there's just a certain group of people who remember the pre-internet internet era. And he makes an argument that those that lived in the pre-internet era were different. They actually had moments in their lives of just absence, of nothing, of quiet solitude. Moments where they had to actually engage their brain to create their own meaning, their own identity. Interesting stuff. We're going to be talking with Michael Harris up next about uh, the pre-internet era and what is the impact of for the rest of those that will never taste having to use a landline phone. We'll talk about it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, if if you were raised, let's say, pre-19, not raised, born, pre-1987, uh, then you might qualify for the pre-internet era, pre-internet era. And our we have a guest, Michael Harris, we're trying to get on the line, that is uh, wrote a great book, the End of Absence, Reclaiming What We've Lost in the World of Constant Connection. And he makes uh, some wonderful points about the fact that pre, pre-internet pre era, you didn't, you didn't just regurgitate Google back in the day. The only knowledge you had was sitting, you know, on your rear, right in front of your bookshelf, looking at the world encyclopedias. So regurgitating an encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. An an encyclopedia, by the way, that was 20 years outdated. So which one's better? Well, here's why. Okay. It's one thing to know that you can regurgitate information. But in the book, The End of Absence, uh, reclaiming what we've lost in a world of constant connection, there's other things that used to happen back in the day that do not happen anymore. For example. Okay, give them to me. Back in the day, we used to have free time. 
we actually used to have time where there was literally nothing to do. You could just sit there. As a 15-year-old boy, you had nothing to do. You could just sit. You could think. You could use your brain to think and have, you know, thoughts. You could sit in solitude. You could... Now, you could go get busy. You could watch a football game, but you could really only watch a football game on Monday night, Saturdays for college, and Sundays, NFL. It was horrible. It was horrible. You and your own thoughts. That was huge. And now you don't even have free time because you have all of these things vying for your attention in your cute little smartphone hand. But I feel I feel so informed and connected. Interestingly. Without leaving my house. However, and we'll find out through this, uh, our next interview this hour and the interview next hour, we're going to find out you probably aren't as connected as you think. That's a lie. You actually are now really good at not even using your own thinking to get through life, you're used to just regurgitating someone else's thought. It's not true. In fact, I read in, a, in an article that <laughs> – never mind. Yeah, I, I was reading just the other day about – and, for example, here's an example. The, some research actually shows that the way we read, because we read so much online, we don't read with depth. We shallow read because simply it's online. And the research shows when you're holding a book in your hand, you read more deeply. You take in more information. You generate more thought, more depth. But the light of the screen keeps me awake. <laughs> That's the other thing. That's the other problem. So there's all of these things that we used to have that we don't even have anymore. And there's a certain generation that will never, ever, ever, ever be raised with it, ever. With just absence of internet. Ben's age. Yeah. Why why do you act like the angels and the choirs sing for that? The angels and the choirs sing for the absence of internet. I don't hear him singing. Well, it's because you have the buttons. We need buttons on my side of the console here. We just have a button war. I need more buttons. Button, button. Who's got the button? So think about it, folks. Are you – is there – there is obviously a benefit to being in the information age, right, and the internet age, except we've – there is also – there was a great benefit for what was happening to our brains back in the day when we had to use them. Now the way we use our brains is to access information. It's the uh, the same kind of thing where you don't have to remember facts anymore. Right. You don't have to remember how to do math problems. Right. I took uh, – well, I went through the process of high school where they said no no calculators. Oh, I remember that. You can't have the, yeah. no calculators in class. You have to learn how to do this. Yeah. I got to college, got into class, and they said, oh, yeah, calculators. It's on the yeah. internet. You go just, ahead, you whatever what? you want to do. Cheat. Do what you got to do. Well, it wasn't cheating. No, I know. They, just... they said, go ahead. You just need to pass Dude, the test. I figure went... it out. 
I went to a school where you couldn't use a calculator, but you also couldn't count on your hands, your fingers. Whoa. You couldn't like do one, two, three, four, five. You had this, which you wouldn't need to do in high school, but it was in elementary school. You had to do it in your head. You're a monster. I know. <laughs> it was the worst. Did they tie your hands to the desk or something? No, or? but you'd get the meter stick. Ooh. You do not want a meter stick. And they're like, what's a meter? I By know. the way, guess how big the meter stick was. Guess how long it was. Three meters? Nope. Ben? It's pretty long. 99 centimeters. No. One meter. Oh. It's a meter yeah. stick. Or that, else that's why a... your generation's better because you know how long a meter stick is. That's exactly right. Listen to this. Do you guys know what a unicorn is? Uh, sure. Michael so... Harris, in his book, The End of Absence, Reclaiming What We've Lost in a World of Constant Connection, a unicorn, and this does not exist today. It's so rare. That's why we call it a unicorn. A person with no online presence who thus boasts or a ghostly or mythical quality when he or she shows up in person. Clay, Clay, he went on a sabbatical is what he did. Michael Harris went on a sabbatical. He decided, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not going to do the internet. And he went on a sabbatical for one month. He got rid of all technology. And, you know, in doing so, he realized a lot of interesting things. For example, there are people out there that actually do not have any online presence. And those people that don't have an online presence are as rare as the unicorn. Back in the day, you didn't – nobody knew that you had made quiche last night when you came to work today. Nobody knew that. And you show up and then we're all like, gosh, Ben, that quiche looked really good. And Ben doesn't know that real men don't eat quiche. He should. He but should. And he would. He would if the internet didn't block his That's right. masculinity. That's so, right. Yeah. Have you ever heard of slow net? <laughs> Did you say the internet's blocking his masculinity? Yes. It's stunting his his is growth that, as a man. Is that what the problem is? It could be. He hasn't learned the lessons. <laughs> That's why I still look like I'm 14. That's exactly right. That's kind of weird. SlowNet, programs that allow users to limit their access to online content. You know? Maybe you need some SlowNet settings. Now, Matt, you were an adult. I, I am. With adult. no internet. I was a kid. It was different. I was, yeah, I was an adult with no internet. You, you told me a story um, a couple of days ago about you were at the airport, you were dragging a projector through this, you know. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you lived in like caveman days. Yeah, back um, when we had projectors. Uh-huh. Yeah, and candles and yeah, electricity yeah. was there, but you didn't know how to utilize it in an entertaining way. Well, yeah. but w- What was life like? We had the telegraph. Yeah. We... Uh, we knew how to change a wheel on a carriage. Morse code was something that everybody uh-huh. kind of knew about. Yep. You couldn't get you couldn't get through you couldn't get through uh, reform school without knowing Morse code. You needed to. Did you, you catch that message? Yeah, I did. Tell tell her I'll call her back. <laughs> tell her I'll be done. Did did people know how to communicate better? No. Would you say no? No, we no. didn't communicate. There was no communication. But see, that's see, that's but that's the illusion. Is the illusion is now that we all communicate so much better, but a but a smiley face. It communicates. It, it's uh, like no. It 
you don't no. see the in the the implied meaning no. of a smiley face because back in the day there what was about a, a thumbs up when you left work for example i remember getting a brick cell phone and oh, that's back right. in the day and the brick cell phone weighed i don't know 60 pounds Total lightweight. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid. You can't be just boom, boom. Total control. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. You know what that is, right? Where did you he know, come from? Little... Is that me on my cell phone? Yeah. That's how you used to communicate. But see, the it funny thing is, is my calls were like a buck a minute. So I'm not – my wife's like, well, don't call me unless you're dying. So I wouldn't call her. So when you would leave work, you would just actually leave work. See, and my then, father would call from work. Yeah. Just go, hey, I'm coming home. Do you need anything? Yeah. And sure, pick up some milk. And then you'd be like, okay, bye. And if, if there was a car accident, you'd, you would just watch people die. Those are the days. I mean, I don't want to wax long, but we're missing something. We're missing something. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Continue this crazy discussion about the end of absence, reclaiming what is lost in a world of constant connection, folks. What's missing? Simply because we're in the internet age. Are we losing? Are we losing a lot? Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we've been talking about uh, the pre-internet generation. There are some of us who we we were born pre-internet. We were born pre-technology boon. And it's a big deal. And it doesn't mean we're better. I mean, we are. No. We're just different, Right. I mean, back in the day, I just look at my childhood versus my children. I I had to make stuff up. I didn't have friends. I had to make my friends up. No, I had to, like, invent what I was going to do all day during the summer. And it, it pretty much inevitably meant I was going outside. And I was going to do something creative. I mean, I remember spending an entire afternoon trying to figure out how to get my bike over a fence. Because he didn't want to just throw it. So I thought I'd build a ramp. Started building a ramp. That's like, that's going to take forever. It's just basically a highway. It was hard. Now my kids sit inside. They get on their phones. They surf the web. They play games. They know a lot. It was a different age. And so uh, we've asked Michael Harris to join us. He is the author of the book, The End of Absence, Reclaiming What We've Lost in a World of Constant Connection. And in this book, he explores the idea of learning to balance the overabundance of technology in our life in order to regain a sense of absence. Michael Harris, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. 
Hey, good to be here. So great to have you. Talk to us. How did you, um, first of all, when you say the title of your book, The End of Absence, what, what, what do you mean by absence? Oh, it's kind of a catch-all term for exactly those things you were just talking about. Uh, solitude, reverie, daydreaming, right? That the uh, ability to have an empty space in your life, those, mm. those parts of your life where, where creativity, uh, where making stuff up comes from. Man, those were the days. Now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I really, it's different. And you, in your book, you make an argument that by us not having absence, we mm-hmm. we're losing something. What what do you sense we we lose? Well, it, it's that same generational divide you were just uh, you were just describing. You know, I I was born in 1980, so I had this moment uh, at work a few years ago. Uh, when I had three screens in front of me and I was living in this state of like constant digital distraction, I realized I'm part of the last generation in history that's going to remember what life was like before the Internet. Mm. And there was some kind of weird disconnect between me and people who were even 10 years younger, right? Yeah. And and I think the, the end of absence, the thing that we lose in being constantly connected is knowing that uh, new things, our understandings of each other, maybe most importantly, our understandings of ourselves, these things are uh, vastly improved by some experience of solitude, right? That yeah. you, can't, you can't just be tapped into a kind of groupthink. You have to connect with people, of course, but then you also have to pair that with a little bit of solitude, with a little bit of that uh, that daydreaming we've mm. talked about. Yeah, it's like I guess it's like you need some space to assimilate almost what you're learning mm-hmm. and and test exactly. it. Exactly. And, and you and, br- and yeah, go ahead. Neuroscientists will, will ba- neuroscientists will back you up on that. But you know, one of the big reasons why we go to sleep at night, while we have REM sleep, we know is because that's when we process everything that we've taken in. Mm. And similarly, uh, there are people now studying the brain when it daydreams and we realize something very similar is happening there when you when you're staring out a window you when you have those re- eureka moments it's because your brain is actually doing a phenomenal amount of work when it looks like you're actually just detaching from mm. things you so we we have to have that that healthy balance between the two you also bring up i think such a fascinating point about um our identity where before my today's identity is coming, I guess more from the collective consciousness of the internet, kind of influencing how I see and, and think. But maybe back in the day, um, I maybe had more time to create my own identity. Well, you know, we we've always been connected to each other on some level. We are inherently social animals, I think. Yeah. Um, but think of it, of it this way: when when you are online your entire system of approval is gauged by how well things are uh, connecting with others. So how many times has it been retweeted? How many thumbs up did I get on Facebook? How many comments did I get at the end of that story I wrote for a newspaper? Hmm. Um, when you are offline, you, uh, you're much more likely to have an independent approval system, right? Yeah. So the apparatus is how you decide what is a good thought, what is worth believing in, those things 
change very, uh, very significantly when we go online. We become much more collective thinkers because the very DNA of the Internet, the very DNA of, of our iPhones and our tablets is always going to be biased towards sharing. Mm. So it creates a, a culture of constant sharing. We went to a, a movie last night preview, uh, uh, kind of a, op- a, a, a private screening of a movie, and got to meet the whole story is about forgiveness where a man had a tragedy happen to his family. A drunk driving teenager hit his car and killed four members of his family. And the whole movie just shows how he went through the process of letting it go and, and forgiving this man. And it was such a beautiful moment. And then we got to meet him and we took pictures with him. And then we went to the car and we're having a discussion. And I look over and I notice that my wife is buried in her phone so Instagramming the picture of us yeah. with this guy. And I'm thinking yeah. – and in preparation for you today, I was thinking, holy cow, that's what happens to us. She she immediately wants to connect what she learned to everybody in the world. But we're missing a moment of just being with our immediate family talking this about is, it. This is the paradox of it, right, is we, we go to our technologies because we're so covetous of these connections. Mm-hmm. And yet, in the process, as that's a beautiful example, uh, in the process, you end up losing some quality of empathy or of uh, tactile connection um, with the people that are right in front of us. Yeah. So yeah. So it's almost and like it, we, we can't connect to those proximal, closest or whatever to us. But we have – because this generation, uh, the younger generation – the millennials or whatever we're calling them, um, they, they, they seem to be known for their incredible empathy for everyone else in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> but not for the people right in front of right, But it's interesting, uh, but not, yeah, not necessarily those closest. Yeah. Well, there, it, it is interesting. There have been studies uh, looking at college-age students over the last 30 years uh, noting that traditional ideas of empathy seem to be dropping off huh. college-age kids. Oh, really? Uh, from, the 19, from the 1970s on. Um, and... Or, or I, I don't think that millennials are, you know, in, inherently right. uh, jerks or no. anything. But I do think that when you become extremely comfortable with connecting people through a screen, you start to rely on that. It becomes a kind of digital crutch. Yeah. Uh, because when you text, and anybody who has a teenager knows, you don't use the phone for talking anymore, right? You only right. text. Yeah, no one wants uh, to talk. When you when you text you are in complete control of the conversation. Think about how that feels compared to uh, you and me talking uh, even voice to voice. Right. It's a little bit more precarious, right? I'm, I, might, I might lose my train of thought. Um, I might uh, ramble on like I'm doing right now. Hmm. So when you're operating with only text, you have a lot more control. It's a lot safer. And I think teenagers have figured that out very quickly and are are not going to be uh, uh, engaging with those traditional ideas of empathy, uh, which require that a person be a little bit more vulnerable in yeah. the moment, right? Yes, yeah, so we might be creating – I mean, and maybe one of the downsides of all of the connectivity is actually less intimacy, less risk, less vulnerability. Highly well, connected, less vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I just uh, was chatting with um, uh, a woman who's working on a book about uh, 
sex among millennials, and she was uh, she was very uh, interested in how does screen technology change uh, hookup? Yeah. How how have um, and I, I think Nancy Joe Sales just had a big Vanity Fair piece about this, about how Tinder um, has uh, created a, yeah. Well, yeah, create, created a, a massive opportunity for the getting of sex, yeah. uh, but also dehumanized it in the yeah. process. And, and that it wasn't just older people. That was the interesting thing, that, that younger folk had themselves felt this kind of numbing, mm. that it wasn't actually good enough for them either. So it, it, that makes me hopeful that maybe we'll be able to swerve back into a kind of a healthier balance there. Oh, it's good stuff. Michael, stick with us. Let's take a quick break. Um, we'll be back in just a minute and continue this discussion. I want to find out about your sabbatical because I know that you did kind of force some you forced some space, some absence in your life. I did. And, and I want to hear about that. And, and then I want to get some ideas for what the rest of us could be doing to make sure we include some absence in our lives. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone here, Michael Harris is joining us. He is the author of the book, The End of Absence, Reclaiming What We've Lost in a World of Constant Connection. And he joins us today to, to try to talk to us about uh, the, the great, I guess, gifts that, that used to exist when we had some solitude, some quiet in our lives and how we might be able to bring some of that uh, absence or solitude back into a day when we have so much interruption and information coming in. Michael Harris, welcome back to the show. Hi. Great to have you. Um, so you you took a sabbatical after staring at all the glowing rectangles, I think is what you called them. Um, <laughs> after staring at those for so long, you were an editor, and you're like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I had a moment when... Uh... Actually, a friend of mine had uh, texted me, and then it took me like five minutes to get back to him. And so he, of course, thought I was dead. So <laughs> he, he writes to me, you know, are you alive or what? And, yeah, I, I was staring at these glowing rectangles. I was doing my I was an editor at a magazine at the time. And uh, I had this moment where I read it kind of literally, uh, are you alive or what? Huh. And I realized like, this was not the, the life I had imagined for myself when I was a kid. You know, I wasn't meant to be sitting in an office staring at uh, a screen that was a foot in front of my face. Mm. Um, so I ended up leaving to begin working on this project, on, on the book, and um, as a kind of cleanse, I guess, for, for my brain, um, I took 30 days off from my phone and 30 days off from the Internet, uh, which was, you know, a completely terrifying thing yeah. to do and something you can only do when you leave your job. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you have to be either unemployed or, you know, in a coma. Or wanting to be unemployed. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the road to unemployment. So it worked. What, well, what happened mean, to you during that time? I mean, I'm assuming you had, you know, major addictive, you know, withdrawal syndromes. It was exactly withdrawal. Yeah, I mean, I would say the first week or two was terrifyingly lonely um, and 
extremely awkward. Um, it's taking a month off from the internet is a little bit like taking a month off from wearing shoes, you know, like <laughs> yeah. for the first, for the first five hours, you think, you know, this is fine. I'm having a good time. And <laughs> then suddenly extremely practical issues fall down <laughs> in front of you. Right. You want to pay the phone bill. You want to connect with your, uh, your mother, you want to arrange a date for Thursday night or what, whatever comes up, right? And the, the thing I hadn't anticipated was that when you take a month off from the Internet, you drag everybody in your circle back <laughs> into the 1980s. That's and they true. might not want to go to the 1980s, yeah. you know? So like we were talking about before the break, people who are maybe 10 years younger than me, if you – if you call them on the phone in order to arrange a coffee date, they'll become extremely suspect and a little bit weirded out that you're doing this. It's like you sent a carrier pigeon or something. <laughs> What's with the pigeon? Yeah, you can only – but you don't think about that. You do. You you get off the grid. Everyone starts writing you like, what's the deal? Are you dead? Why are you complicating yeah. my life? Yeah, and you. so it, for anybody who wanted to try even a weekend off, which I, I do uh, encourage people to try because it – it's a bit of a, a wake-up call when you do it. You do have to actually take a few steps before you jump off the grid because people will actually worry about you. Um, if, uh, you know, if you're an 18-year-old kid at a, at a college and you decide to take three days offline, your parents will probably call the police before <laughs> the three days are up. It's true. Um, so you, you have to warn your nearest and dearest, and you probably have to put one of those automatic outgoing you know, the email bounces yeah. informing people that you're offline. Yeah. We we have we only have a couple minutes left. What what would you recommend to some of us, to all of us really, that that want to maybe get the benefits of some of that solace, that pro, that solitude, the quiet time to get our head thinking again? Hmm. Um, what are some just quick things we can do to to maybe make it a part of our tech busy life? The easiest thing for everybody, I think, actually, is uh, batch processing your email. So instead of having this ambient awareness of your inbox, if you bring that down to five times a day and you just make it a diet, like a media diet, the same way that you would uh, limit the amount of uh, chocolate cookies that you can eat in a day, yeah, um, it's incredible how much more productive, actually, your life becomes because you have to remember every time you check your email, not only are you wasting that time uh, looking at spam, you're also losing about 15 minutes of concentration on the other side of that email. It takes yeah. about 15 minutes to get back into whatever task it is. It's so so true. When, you, when you batch process that email into five times a day, you don't lose productivity. That's the big myth. You actually are becoming more productive. And people... Unless you're a stock trader or yeah. you're President Obama, <laughs> nothing actually falls apart if you only check your email five times a day. Well, and, and so you have to turn off your, you know, your notifiers. You have to turn everything off so it's not constantly interrupting you. And then you just say, I'm going to check it when I wake up. I'm going to check it at noon. I'm going to check it when I leave. I'm yep. going to check it at yep. night. And there are handily uh, certain kinds of uh, programs that can help you with these things. Uh, there's one called Freedom that you can download for your computer, which will allow you to actually turn off the Internet. So even if you have that impulse 
Yeah. You can't check it mm. for, say, two hours or whatever. Yeah. Some Michael. You should check it, Freedom, yeah. Oh, I love it. And I wish we had so much more time. We appreciate you. Uh, really interesting insight. And not just nostalgic, but very real and appreciated. Michael Harris is his name. Go check out his book. Author of, uh, of The End of Absence, Reclaiming What We've Lost in a World of Constant Connection. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Three hours of a love fest. 2015. Sharing the love, helping you grow healthier, happier lives. Man alive today, have we got a great uh, guest for you. Um, do you just believe you're born with a moral sense? You just believe, you know, you're just born that way. A, a sense of kind of what's right, what's wrong, what's healthy, what's moral. Well, our, our uh, guest that will be up in just a few minutes, Darsha Nar. Na- Narvaez, Darsha Narvaez, Professor Darsha Narvaez, is going to be talking to us about uh, some of her research, because by golly, folks, uh, you're not actually born with a moral sense. You, you're, you're trained, you're taught, you're raised, how you're raised, the experiences you go through, they all create your sense of morality. And guess what? We're not doing a very good job. The uh, the moral sense, as she calls it, in our children, it's dropping. It's dropping. And so uh, she's going to walk us through the decline of children and their moral sense and but be giving us some ideas, some things we need to make sure we're doing in our families, our lives, to make sure morality is still a part of our children's mindset. Would that kind of be like the woman at the swimming pool where I was at Asked her daughter, actually told her daughter to go steal my cell phone. Was that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, probably, yeah. that might be it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that might be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Did somebody? Yeah. A oh, mother I was told with my children, and I had put my cell phone on the ta- on the de- front desk as I was paying because I had all these towels and things that I was having to carry back. And when I went back, the woman goes. Oh no! Um, uh, you know, a young girl came and said that that was her phone, and basically found out that the mother had told her to go get my phone because she saw that I had left it there. That little scoundrel! Yeah. So I called the number. I say, "Hey, I really need my phone." Oh, is this your phone? Well, I'll be here. Why don't you come get it? So of course I go there like an idiot, and it wasn't there. Of course, so yeah, she had her daughter go steal it. Holy You're cow! A yeah. Monster! It was a monster. Yeah, <laughs> a young monster. I was, I was so upset. I thought, how would you? What that would you teach your great. child? That? That's exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Did you taser? I would have if I had one. Okay, but you know what? Did that teach you that you can't buy the most expensive $25,000 cell phone <laughs> with the diamonds? This was a long time ago. The diamond before encrusted? The, before the phones were super expensive. Oh, it that's wasn't a, a smartphone, but it was – I thought, that's exactly how? Who what we're talking that? about it. You know? Who well, does that? apparently – Apparently the parent. Apparently Ben's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Darsha Narnavais will be joining us. She'll be talking about that. Did you hear the great news? The great news about Facebook? No. They're going to have a dislike button. Really? Yeah. 
a dislike button. They we have we already have a like button, mm-hmm. but now Facebook wants to have a dislike button. By the way, this just seems like it's going to cause a lot of problems. Right. Um, so, just take okay. Here's a picture of Stacy. Do you like or dislike? Oh, I hate Stacy. <laughs> she steals cell phones. Well, kids are so worried about how many likes they I get. Know. They count them, I think. But so a dislike, dislike that's even worse. But the idea behind it, I guess people. They've wanted it forever. I don't know why. But honestly, Mark Zuckerberg's basically saying, I think people have asked about the dislike button for many years. Today is a special day because today is the day I can say we're working on it and it's getting ready to ship out. They're going to put it up on Facebook. But he says his ultimate goal of it isn't to just, you know, turn this into like a Reddit page where you like and you dislike, thumbs up, thumbs down. He wants it to be able to so people can express their empathy. So oh, if sure. somebody doesn't like a post, they can say they don't like it. Mm-hmm. I know. Is that something to celebrate? Yeah. To dislike something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that you should celebrate it. A, a problem people have, though, is you have a story mm-hmm. that's very negative. Yeah. That you see on – that's posted on Facebook. Negative, like a news story and this horrible thing happened. That. Donald yeah. And you want to recommend something. it. Right. Yeah. You want to recommend it, but the only choice you have is to like, like it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it really sends the wrong message when yeah, something right. horrible happens. And I see it like my – my family feed that I have hidden because it's yeah. annoying. Um, they rec- they're they're always liking things, and they're just you're like Siri, you yeah, like, like this person or you, you know these things and these people died, and you like that. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. That'd so be how- great if it was used just for that. I yeah. love how people died in this story. I like it a lot. Here we go. <laughs> That's but it's when you think about it too, though it's going to get misused, right? People, right. That's the problem. That's the problem with all humans. We're all just a little messed up. <laughs> so even a good thing like that, we will distort. We'll just twist it. Ugh! Twist it and uh, distort it. Anyway, so there's good news. You can relax now. But uh, let's get to more news. Not always good news. Kathy Aiken in the head- headlines. Good morning, everyone. Rescue teams continue their search for those missing in flash flooding on the Utah-Arizona border. In the town of Hilldale, Utah, 12 people are confirmed dead after a wall of water swept away two vehicles. Three children survived, but a 13th person is still missing. Obviously, this is one of the worst weather-related disasters in the history of the uh, of the state of Utah and because of that we're bringing the full resources of the state to bear. Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. At nearby Zion's National Park, four bodies have been found and three other hikers remain missing. The hikers set out Monday to rappel down a narrow slot canyon when the flash flooding washed through. One hiker warned others of the weather danger. We said, you know, the weather's supposed to be bad today and they said, well, we're going to take our chances because it'll probably be bad tomorrow too. I think you just don't risk it. The hikers were from California and Nevada. Search efforts in the canyon were scaled back last night but set to resume this morning. Three people died after a float plane in Anchorage, Alaska crashed during takeoff yesterday. Seven other people on board were injured, some of them critically. California firefighters received some help in their battle of two major blazes near Sacramento. The Valley and Butte fires are more contained thanks to light rain and cooler temperatures. The fires have destroyed hundreds of homes and led to at least one death. The second GOP presidential debate is set for tonight at the Ronald Reagan Library in California. Last night, Donald Trump was aboard the USS Iowa and told the crowd about the need for a strong military. We're going to come out with some plans in a very short time. We're going to be building up our military. We're going to make our military so big and so strong. It will be so powerful that I don't think we're ever going to have to use it. Nobody's going to mess with us. That I can tell you. 
Trump, the front runner, is expected to come under intense fire tonight, especially from candidates way down in the polls. Eleven candidates will appear on the primetime debate at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is looking for another way to halt a nuclear deal with Iran. McConnell's Plan B would prevent President Obama from lifting sanctions on the country until Iran releases four jailed Americans and recognizes the right of Israel to exist. This idea coming after Senate Democrats prepared to filibuster a resolution of disapproval for a second time. A vote is expected sometime tomorrow. Intelligence analysts have reportedly given investigators documents they say prove senior military officers manipulated reports exaggerating progress in the war against ISIS. The Pentagon's inspector general is looking into the accusations that senior officials at CENTCOM, which oversees anti-ISIS operations, changed evidence of readiness of Iraqi security forces as well as success of U.S.-led airstrikes. And British-born actress Emily Blunt, who recently became a U.S. citizen, is taking a lot of heat for these comments she made recently. I became an American citizen recently, and that night we watched the Republican debate, and I thought this was a terrible mistake. What have I done? After those comments, Mm. Twitter went crazy. Here's one comment. Hashtag Emily Blunt doesn't regret being an American as much as we regret watching her films. Oh, that's right. She's not in many. And and then this. Emily Blunt makes millions of dollars in America but regrets being a U.S. citizen. The word hypocrite comes to mind. Wow, not a fan. And finally, so Emily Blunt became a citizen of the U.S. only to bash it. Funny thing, you can always denounce. Whoa. Whether she was joking or not, man, she got a lot of people angry. But, you know, it's funny that uh, you ended with that story, for heaven's sakes. Did you hear about how many people, though, are saying if if, uh, Donald Trump wins as president... Mm -hmm. They're out of here. They're out of (laughs) here. They're off to Mexico, apparently. Donald Trump is one of the, you know, it happens every year. But Donald Trump, this time, or every election cycle, this Mm -hmm. time they're saying if it's Donald Trump... Uh, out of, uh, I guess, 4.5 million tweets, 200,000 tweets said that if Donald Trump becomes president, they will leave mm-hmm. before he's president. 75,000 tweets basically said they will go. Guess where, first of all? Mexico. Mexico. See ya. By the way, this is great music. Why don't you play this music <laughs> instead of the... The news music. The news music <laughs> from the 1970s. Oh. And uh, the second most... Guess what location? Second. It's interesting. Uh, Canada. Canada's third. Oh. Second, an undisclosed location. Oh, undisclosed. I don't know who that is. Yeah, for sure. That is probably... Yeah, people say that every time. They said that when Clinton, uh, when Bill Clinton ran and when George Bush ran. And then this movie star's like, oh, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe I did that. I'm more British. I want to be British. See ya. Well, welcome to America. Yeah, welcome to America. That's just how we roll. Welcome to America, where but you've tonight, made millions of dollars. That's right. So any other uh, famous stars, that mm-hmm. movie stars that have just become U.S. citizens, mm-hmm. you might not want to watch tonight. It might – Yeah. you might become disenfranchised. Yeah, this may be a bloody battle tonight, so don't well, if watch. You, well, if you think about it in the end, mm-hmm. what group of people has Donald not offended yet? Uh, He's offended the veterans. He's I don't offended know. Has he women. offended men in general? He's offended women, but has he offended men? Oh, that's a well. Well, well, he's he's actually offended numerous men uh-huh. that are idiots, but not the jerks. male gender in no, general. No, no, okay. he's he's saving that for the grand finale. <laughs> well, he is of the male gender, yeah, that's, so he that's can the insult only reason, himself. Right? That's the yeah. only reason. Well, but he's got he's got a great love for women. Mm-hmm. 
and he has got the they best, most incredible Donald Care mm-hmm. health care program for women right. in the history of all the galaxies. He hasn't given any. Oh, yeah. any what you know, is it? Uh, he won't say. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming later. Well, no, that's that's a surprise. Uh-huh. That's like We'll tell you that. Else. After I'm elected. He keeps saying three weeks. So mm-hmm. something big's going to yeah, happen in three happen. weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I saw something online about it, like a, a sound clip. Oh, did you? Yeah. Let's hear it. This Total lightweight. Oh, yeah, stupid, this is him stupid, describing stupid. it. Very stupid. You can't be just boom, boom. Total control. Bada bing, boom, bing, bada bing, 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 bing. You know what that is? <laughs> oh, <laughs> bing, you know bing. the little bing, bing, bing. Bing, bong, 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 bong. I love you very much. You know, it sounds like a great program. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is solved. I'm signing up. And people had issues with Obamacare. <laughs> Obamacare didn't have half the bing-bings. Or the boom-booms. Or the boom-booms. And I love everybody. Good stuff. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Man, you're, you know, you live in the United States of America. The, the, the bastion of morality, right? But guess what? We may not be teaching our children to have a moral code. We may not uh, be handing it down morality the way we used to. We'll be talking about that with our next guest, uh, Dr. Darsha Narvaez will be joining us, and she's going to be um, enlightening us on some pretty interesting studies that has the United States of America ranked about 20th when it for, by UNICEF in child well-being. And some of the things that we don't do very well here with our children actually lead to a lower sense of morality. We may be impacting them for a lot longer than just their physical health. Uh, so stick with us, folks. Dr. Narvaez will be with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get the tools you need to live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, new parents receive a deluge of advice from various sources, some of which can actually be contradictory. Uh, For example, does breastfeeding matter or doesn't it? Should we just let our children cry more? You know, when I was, you know, parenting my kids, that was the advice. Just let them cry. They'll be fine. Let them cry. Well, guess what? How we raise our children, um, it, it really does impact their their approach to life, their view of life, their sense of, of a moral sense. And so um, our children may, uh, may be needing some extra attention today. A recent UNICEF study of child well-being in 21 rich countries ranked the United States of America 20th in family and peer relationships. 20th in family, out of 21, by the way, in family and peer relationships, and 21st in health and safety. Are you kidding me? So what are we doing wrong, and what do we need to do differently? Well, according to our next guest, Darsha Narvaez, it has to do with the moral sense. And she joins us now to uh, to talk to us uh, about her research and about what she's finding about out about our children and uh, and their moral sense. Uh, Dr. Narvaez, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. So honored to have you. This is, uh, to me, very near and dear. I have a grandbaby that will be born in about 
a month or so. And uh, man, I, I, if ever we got to start getting this right, I feel this incredible need to 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 push out there what it, what we need to be focusing on. So talk to us about moral sense. First of all, just kind of define it for us. I know it's a major part of what you study, uh, but when you say moral sense, what do you mean? Well, let me just say that the uh, statistics that you mentioned really tear at my heart, that the USA, the child well-being is so dismal mm. uh, that that alerted me and, and alarmed me uh, to looking at what's going on. Why are we um, kind of uh, misraising our children, and how how does it matter? Uh, what what do we need to do? So I study moral development generally, but also well-being. They're very connected. The moral sense is uh, people talk about you know where morality comes from. Is it innate? Do, are we born with a, a sense of morality? Darwin thought so. Right. Other people other people think, oh no, you have to teach the child to be moral because they're born immoral. Hmm. Well, it turns out from the neurobiological research that that we are uh, collecting and and, um, summarizing that it's actually an interaction. So we're ready to be moral. We're ready to be very social from day one. We want to interact with our parents. We want them to be really close to us and play with them. We're ready from birth for that. And that actually, those experiences build a brain that works really well socially and then morally. Hmm. So in early life, our moral sense is initially constructed by those pro-social kind of brain networks that need that very loving care that babies expect to grow well. So if they don't grow well, if you neglect your baby in various ways, and stress the baby out, those networks are going to be underdeveloped and you're going to have a more self-oriented child. Interesting. So we're really wired to uh, to be social, to be very pro-social, um, and, and then it depends on the interactions that we have with our children as parents, with to the children, to see if we cre- help them kind of magnify their, their pro-social abilities. Yes, and actually grow them. Yeah, because, grow them. Uh, we're born so immature. We're born uh, nine to eighteen months early compared to other animals. We should be in the womb another. Oh wow! Months. Really? Tell yeah, tell that to every mother in the world, huh? <laughs> right. And so we, our brain is only twenty-five percent of the adult size at full-term birth. This is forty to forty-two weeks at birth. Uh, a lot of kids are being born before that now, and so there's a lot of growing that happens after birth. And it requires this, what we call the evolved developmental niche or nest mm. of care. And those are the practices we're, we're looking at. They're over 30 million years old. So that's breastfeeding extensively on request, a baby request, mm. um, lots of touch pretty much constantly in that first year of life at least and, and throughout life, lots of touch. Helps you grow well, helps uh, DNA synthesis uh, occur and so on. Breastfeeding has um, all sorts of, uh, well, has all the immunoglobulins you need to build your immune system, which isn't finished till about age five or six. Wow. Uh, the adult levels. And then there's responsiveness. You want to keep the baby calm because all these, the stress response systems and various systems of the body are settling themselves. They're deciding what their thresholds will be, how they will operate. And if you uh, stress out a baby and let them cry a lot, you're going to have a very easily stressed child. You've set the stress response system to be reactive, hyper-reactive. Oh, and and then, yeah, and you've created yeah. the monster, a, yeah. a reactive yeah. child that will react to everything in life. Right. And so you have to be careful at birth. 
So you want more a naturalistic childbirth, not one that induces pain or separates mom and baby because those that's stressful to the you baby. Bet. And that can immediately, you know, impress upon them how dangerous the world is and their stress response will be easily activated. You know, we don't we don't think of it this way, do we? We don't we don't think of all of these decisions, you just listed about five or six different decisions that we don't even seem to consciously make. Like one that was just simple was breastfeeding upon request. And mm-hmm. we, but we, we've actually generated lifestyles in the United States where there, we don't feel like people have the latitude to just feed the baby when the baby requests it. You know, there's timing, there's schedules, there's there's feedings there's sitters there's all of these other things that that are complicating it and and yet just simple little decisions like that over time could create a more stressed baby a, a, a more self i guess a, a more self-centric baby i guess i guess all yeah. babies are self-centric but a more self-centric adult right wow so breast milk human breast milk is of the thin variety there's thick and thin and the thin variety is supposed to be ingested frequently it's full of hormones that helps the brain grow well, as well as the immune system. It's got thousands of ingredients. We hardly know what it does. Uh, but the baby needs to have it regularly, every 20 minutes or so, in small band hunter-gatherer communities uh, that represent really 99% of our history as a, in societies. Interesting. Wow. Um, okay, we've got we've to continue this. Let's take a quick break. We're speaking with Darsha Nar- Narvaez from Notre Dame University, and she is on faculty there and is here to, to basically enlighten our minds about the development of human morality. And a lot of it begins, folks, just simply with the patterns of care that we provide for our children. And as a professor of psychology at, at the University of Notre Dame, she's uh, she's been doing this research extensively. We're going to come back and continue to pick her brain Figure out what we can do as parents and as grandparents. I mean, she's enlightening me. I'm I'm going to send a copy of this interview to my daughter and make sure that uh, that we we set our kids up and our grandkids up for success. Stick with us, folks. Trying to help you find the good in the world and make the right decisions for you and your family. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are discussing uh, the decline of children and the moral sense and how some very basic, you know, methods of care, how we how we take care of our children, our babies, how we, uh, how we respond to them, how we touch, how we spend time and are with our children as they're young, defines... Their their moral sense, their abilities to be moral and to um, to maybe even make better decisions and and maybe even have I guess a little more self control. Joining us is Darsha Narvaez from um, Notre Dame University, University of Notre Dame, and she specializes in the ethical development and moral education. She's also a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and her most recent book, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality 
Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom. Uh, it was just pu- published recently. Uh, Darshan Narvais, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot. We, I, I can't tell you how much I love what you're studying. Um, I, I've always wondered this, and I, I guess part of what I hear you saying is a lot of these little things that we used to just kind of justify away or argue away, like it's just breastfeeding, give it up, um, or it's just, it, you know, you got to work. So so you got to sometimes put your kid in daycare. You just got to do it. Um, I guess what you're saying, though, is and, and one thing I know you always point out is this isn't this isn't a woman's fault. This isn't the mother's. This is a community social problem that as a community we need to start addressing that there, right. there's some things that are impacting as a community, what we accept and what we tolerate, and we're not tolerating the highest level of quality, we're actually just accepting the worst level of quality. Yeah, as a little, uh, uh, I mean, to put it cynically, it's almost like we want to deny babies as much as possible and kind of, uh, you know, just to get them by yeah. rather than optimize their development, which is what I'm about. Mm. Well, and I guess <laughs> developmentally, they they have no choice but to just follow our lead. And if our lead is going to starve them emotionally and starve them uh, to be and, and make them become more reactive as a human being, we're eventually going to pay for that anyway. That's right. That's oh. right. So short-sighted. It is. But I think a lot of people have forgotten what babies really need. We, we've uh, kind of moved away from giving them, you know, lots of physical touch, affection. Yeah. Even play. Play is out of a lot of schools now, which is crazy because that's how you grow a good brain. That's how you reset. Uh, depression. That's right. Yep. Recess. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I got through school. Yeah. Was recess because it. The best part of the day. It right? totally was, and it's also where you would, you'd, you'd almost take some of your learning and go integrate socially, and you'd figure out how to you know play a game without offending everyone, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But because the other thing, it seems like we've moved away from almost the kind of more agrarian tribal mentality where it seems like so much of this would have just been natural. And we've we've forced ourselves into a lot of unnatural settings like alarm clocks and and, you know, we got to get to work on time and schedules and all of these things that that do not necessarily facilitate healthy childhood development. That's right. Yep. Mm. Adults are really distracted now, and so they don't realize that they're planting seeds of, uh, uh, well, I would put it in extreme, societal destruction. Because if you've got all these people that don't self-regulate very well, they're going to get out of hand. They're not going to be very communally imaginative because their stress response kicks in. And when that happens, it kicks in easily. When that happens, the blood flow shifts in your body. It shifts away from higher-order thinking. It shifts away from compassionate, open-heartedness, and you get self-protective. And so that's what we think now is normal human nature is to be selfish and violent and aggressive, which isn't true. No. If you look at our small band hunter-gatherer cousins who do raise their children with these practices, they're very peaceful on average. And huh. they are very happy and have uh, you know high well-being. They have, of course, they have high uh, mortality rates before sure. age fifteen because of it's hard to live out in the in the world without protection and all. But um, but they're otherwise quite uh, well off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so when when you bring up the word moral sense, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is just the ability to be non-reactive, like or to be well, I mean to to be healthy reactive. 
Yes, that's the first part. So in my book, I talk about three areas. So one is uh, three ethics. There's the protectionist ethics. If your stress response kicks in easily, easily you're going to be more oriented to being self-protective in how you make decisions. Hmm. But if you are raised well with this loving care that we evolved to need, you're going to develop an, uh, an engagement ethic of being able to be present now with other people, emotionally connected and, and playful and so on. And then your imagination, your abstract capabilities will build on, well, they build on either one. So yeah. if you're self-protective, your imagination is going to be all about, you know, weapons and, and protection. Yeah, systems. self-serving, yeah. Or viciousness and controlling others. Versus if you build on these relational engagement, uh, relational attunement capacities, then your imagination is going to be more inclusive and open and, you know, let's work this out kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that's so the first one is kind of protectionist versus uh, engaged. What's the next yep. the next one? Yep. And then the, and then the imagination, your abstracting capabilities, how you imagine possibilities, things that aren't in the present moment builds on either one. Oh, interesting. So we can shift yeah. in and out. So if you feel uh, threatened in the moment, you'll go into self-protection. Oh, yeah. And uh, you, so what we do with kids when we undercare for them is we make them more likely to have a disposition of self-protection. Yeah, this gets and into all the attachment theory stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you see in every marriage, the fight or flight kind of demand withdraw communication pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you have to learn how to, if you develop that tube, do well, that self-protectionism, you have to learn as an adult then how to calm yourself Mm -hmm. down, how to get social joy and be present with others, mindfulness, meditation, and deep breathing, all sorts of things help with both of those. Is this why we, do we see an influx? It seems like I keep hearing more and more an influx of anxieties, of depressions in the children, of ADHD um, all these different diagnoses are happening. Is, is it because of our history of not attending to the kids? Well, there's increasing amounts of evidence showing the neurobiological effects of not getting enough positive touch, being held a, a lot, uh, slept next to, which is our history. Yeah, we put them uh, in another room, don't we? Yeah. <clears throat> or breastfeeding, you know, builds the the brain, the serotonin uh, receptor systems, which is linked, which are linked to uh, intelligence and to not getting depressed. So there's all these things I think we're finding. Uh, we looked at adults recently in a paper, I think it's just about to be accepted, uh, where we asked them about their early experience. So we just had broad questions how, like how affection, how much affection did you receive in childhood? And then we looked at their attachment and we looked at their um uh, moral capacities for engagement, I'm sorry, for uh, empathy or perspective taking. Yeah. And we looked at mental health, and we found that you, there was a positive uh, pathway and a negative pathway. So if you had less of these things, you're more likely to have not, not have secure attachment, more likely to me- be mentally distressed, and less uh, empathy and perspective taking. Mm. Uh, people with more of these characteristics in their childhood will have the opposite. Which will destroy relationships. I mean, those are all relational essentials, and just simply by how we how we've raised this child, we may set them up to be kind of basically ostracized or um, minimizing long term relationships. Yeah, that's right. Wow. I mean, really, it seems like a no brainer. I I've been because I work with couples all the time, and I see every I see everything you're talking about. 
And I've always wondered, and then I spend the entire time trying to help them gain a character or moral sense, an ability to kind of manage their reactivity and take the place of other and positively interpret and and communicate. And I'm fi- I'm telling you, it's an upstream battle, and you may as well catch it younger. Right. The patterns have been set, and then they get pretty uh, concretized. Mm. I mean, who would think, though, seriously, seriously, Professor Narvise, who would think that breastfeeding and touch and sleeping near your child – I mean, why on earth – because we, we've literally blown that idea up. Like it's – come on. You can buy breast – you can buy – what do they call it? Uh, formula. Formula for your kids. It's fine. Just shake it in a bottle. Hand yeah. them the bottle. Put them back in the crib. Yeah. But man, how – I mean I think if we knew what we were really doing, we'd be devastated to That's know right. – I mean because the average parent is just trying to be the best they can. We just don't have this information. That's right. Um, I think we have to change society. We have to educate parents. We have to put uh, children and families in the center. Like moms shouldn't be isolated with babies or children at home alone. That's not how we evolved. We evolved to to be in community groups. Yeah. So workplaces need to have family kind of life around them or in them or, you know, integrated. Yeah. And then everyone everyone has better mental health when you integrate and no, don't isolate people. I mean, yeah, if you could go down and, and hold your baby at lunch and, and bring him back up and feed him while you're doing some other work and then t- drop him off for a nap and come back. I mean, yeah, to integrate it into our lives. And I guess, too, integrating grandparents into our lives, these multi-generational families, have, right. they, they've proven successful everywhere else. And we just have poo-pooed that idea. Right, because the the babies are very demanding, and they need all this because they're growing so fast and so they're so mature. In yeah. the first three years of life, they grow um, uh, most of the brain, you know. So uh, you want to be there, and you need a lot of help. And so our heritage is to have an extended set of uh, multiple adult caregivers around. Oh yeah. To take over or to sleep with a child so the parents can sleep, or you know. Well, and I, I just my my wife can hardly wait for this grandbaby, and. Everybody, the other, our, the other in-laws can we, we can all hardly wait, and yet, and we even live close to each other. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, but we want them to have their independence. You know, we want them to be their own little family unit. But you know, some, maybe sometimes the the benefits of wealth are actually counterproductive because now yeah. we can have three homes that are close but far away, and yeah. and then my daughter probably wants to feel like she's independent in this. When really she's probably needs all, as many hands as she can have. That's right. Yeah. Can we can we do too much, Darsha? Can we, you know, I mean, for, yeah. Can can you spoil a baby? No. Well, you can ruin a baby by not giving them what they need, and yeah. then they end up having to scream all the time to get what they need. So, um, yeah, you can ruin a baby, but you can't spoil a baby. You you can't you can't love it too much. No, I think the first two years of life, you give the baby everything it needs, especially right at the beginning, because we find that that responsive relationship is set by the first four months or so. And so you want lots and lots of support of the new mother and child uh, and father and so that they're very responsive to the child. Now, is that because, is that where they make this attachment issue? Is that where they either become protectionist or engaged? 
Uh, well, it's unclear exactly okay. when that happens. It's, uh, you know, long-term patterns. Attachment generally is measured after six months. Okay. Um, but there, I'm sure there's neurobiological things going on all the time, you know. Oh, sure. Talk yeah. about dads. I mean, it seems like a lot of times moms are the ones that feel all of the guilt of this. And yeah. and they also and they also feel I mean just torn between a career that they might want or being there for the baby like they want. Um, what can dads be doing, and and where do dads play an important role? Well, I think dads can do everything except the breastfeeding part, right? Yes. So <laughs> they can do all the touching and holding and rocking that babies need and expect. They can play. Uh, they can be, you know, supporting the mother so that she's responsive. They can be responsive to the baby. So just p- learning if you uh, carry the baby skin to skin, yeah. Uh, especially in early life, you te- you learn to be responsive to that baby's uh, cues. You really? don't want the baby to have to cry to get you to do something for it. You want to pay attention to when it starts to get uncomfortable, starts to make a face. Well, it needs something. Do yeah. something then because you want to keep those systems calm. Hmm. And it's like an attunement, huh? You get, you become yeah. attuned to the baby, and the baby becomes attuned to you. That's right. That's what you want. What if you have a lot of chest hair, though, Darsha, and you just can't get skin to skin contact? <laughs> You're gonna have a lot of good uh, contact. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's <more than> normal. <laughs> yeah, your baby will grow up wanting to marry a man with a lot of chest hair. That's, uh, that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's just gross. I shouldn't have brought that up. Hey, um, th- to me, uh, this is so, uh, so important. And uh, how does this connect to your – I mean, you're at – I just am so in love with the idea that you're from Notre Dame because, th- duh, I mean, moral <laughs> development is a godly thing too, right? And so it's it's important that we can connect this child morally – to be to be able to have choices and agency instead of becoming this reactive clod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how does how does uh, your influence from Notre Dame drive some of your moral focus? Well, I think uh, Notre Dame is just a wonderful place to be able to research moral development because you can talk about everything here. Yeah. A, I used to be at the University of Minnesota, a, pri- a public university, and it's harder. To talk about spirituality or uh, goodness, uh, it just sounds too value-laden for yeah. a secular institution and all. So it's really been a great blessing to be here. No, I, I, we have the same thing here at BYU, and it's it's just powerful, right, to be able to, to kind of look at it in a more whole way, holistic way. Um, right. Anything else, Darsha, that we need to worry about? So if—, if a, first of all, where can I where, where can I what book is the book that I should go get for my new my daughter and my new grandbaby? Well, I keep a stack of these books on my shelf to give to any new parent or forthcoming uh, grandparent. Uh, and it's called The Science of Parenting. Okay. It's got lots of pictures and brief explanations. It's gives you the basics on neurobiology and why you don't want to let babies cry and why you want to, you know, play with them and build the brain in a way that's positive. Mm. Now, that's it. Because uh, – and and we don't want to make anybody feel guilty, but we do say learn. Get, I mean, the, yeah. the, the research there is there. So, you know, get your head in the game and let's start, let's start being real. And as a community, uh, I guess we need to also get taken care of our – 
systems, our processes, what we expect from parents. Yeah. I, I write about uh, parenting a lot at my blog at Psychology Today. Okay. That's called Moral Landscapes. Mm. Well done. Appreciate you. Dr. Darsha Narvaez, again, you can go to her website, D-A-R-C-I-A-N-A-R-V-A-E-Z.com. You can also find her on Psychology Today. Great stuff, folks. Uh, you're lucky to know what you know. And uh, let's take care of our families, our kids. We'll take a break. Come back to a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, what an interesting uh, guest, Darsha Narvaez from Notre Dame. Here's the ultimate irony. Today, by the way, we are celebrating Working Parents Day. And is it possible that the systems we have set up actually make our children less able and, and our adults less able, less capable, less skilled at actually getting results. Yeah, they're more reactive because we're so into getting our careers going that we no longer necessarily value parenting. And I mean, parenting in a selfless way. Everybody gets how hard it is to be a parent. But most of us don't even know the real data. We don't even know the real impact of not holding your children more. Some of us are so into our own lives, we don't hold our children. We don't just nurture our children. I remember my first child was so much different than my last child and how much time I, I gave because my life got busier and busier and busier. And for some reason that feels, yeah, that's just to, to be expected. The problem is my first child was held constantly. I spent hours holding that baby, hours rocking my daughter to sleep at night. And we got, you know, because every time she'd cry, we'd get up, hold her, soothe her, take care of her, put her back to bed. My wife and I made a deal because she, you know, feeds the baby. Until it's until she can no longer breastfeed, it's my game. I mean, once once she's done breastfeeding, it's my game. And so, man, my first kids, I'd get up all the time in the middle of the night. Now, man, I don't get up ever. I guess my kids, they're all older. But it changes, doesn't it? So this isn't about making women feel bad about being a mom and you're not doing a great job, women. It's not about that. It's about our society our culture, where we actually think our professions, regardless of the gender, male or female, is more important than being there for your child for two years, three years, four years. And you know what else? Who's let us down, I think? A lot are our professionals. The doctors that are telling us we don't need to hold our children as much. That's crazy. Quit reading out of a book out of the 70s and 80s. Read the latest research. According to the latest researchers, you do need 
to hold your kids more. And when you look at the numbers, we are failing miserably. How on earth can the United States be ranked 20th in family and peer relationships? Out of all of the wealthiest countries, we are 20th out of 21 in family and peer relationships. We are 21st in health and safety of our children. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, but that's UNICEF. You know UNICEF. They're not. They're not what? That's That's a study done by researchers for UNICEF. We're failing. Well, no. Yeah. There's a reason more and more kids are being diagnosed with anxiety. There's a reason that more and more kids are being diagnosed with depression. It's the real deal, folks. And so let's get real about it. That's why we do the show, to give you the ideas, the information you need to make sure you're making the right decisions for your family. It's called The Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can to help you get through this crazy thing called life. We call this the human project. All things you need to grow healthy, happy, connected humans. Today, by the way, we are celebrating A, guacamole day. No, do not do that sound. B, Play-Doh day. Okay. You said earlier, Kathy, that Play-Doh frustrated you as a mom because it would dry up. Yeah, they would not put it back and put the lid on, so it would dry up and it was gone. It was done. Um. Did you ever hear th- this sound? Oh, no. When your kids were eating, would you stop eating <laughs> the play doh? No. Please no. Let's hear it. No. <laughs> that's the that's the wet sound. But because there's nothing worse than dry dried up play doh. No. Right. Well, yeah, there is something worse, and that was actually when you would go to get the play doh and you would step on a Lego with your bare feet. Oh yeah, that's painful. Yeah, that was worse. Isn't that when you say, let go of my Lego? Lego. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and our youngest was a Lego fanatic, so they were really? all over the place. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. We, have, we still have so many Legos. <laughs> and my wife's like, well, let's not get rid of those because the for grandkids. grandkids. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, seriously? Yeah. The There's grandkids. a lot of things I've saved for that purpose. But they're not going to – really? Do you, uh-huh. You're like, oh, you're like my wife. Yeah. Not Legos, though. I haven't. I definitely haven't saved all. The problem is you lose them, and it kind of ruins the whole thing you were building, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, you can create things on your own. We but... have a huge box of them. Mm-hmm. It's like a crate. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. And I – of course, I only have boys, so I, I'm assuming it's just primarily boys, but maybe yeah. girls too. When you have that clothes hamper yeah. without a lid mm-hmm. – Basketball hoop. Uh-huh. And somehow the clothes get next to the hamper on the floor, right. but not inside yeah, the yeah, hamper. Yeah. What is that problem? Uh, that problem is just they're just they're shots off. 
They just they're just off a little bit. But so you're just well, saying yeah, but when the when the opening is quite large yeah. and for some reason they just drop it next to it but right. not inside it. Well, you know, sometimes it's depth perception. Mm-hmm. So you might want to have your kids true. you might want to have their <laughs> eyes checked. <laughs> you know what? Idea. My wife has a trick now where anything that was left in the house that doesn't belong where she finds it. She mm-hmm. places it on the stairs basically for them to take them down, to take, but they don't. But they never take they it down. They walk past it several times. Yeah, and I actually walked <laughs> I walked so up the stairs, and I walk out in the dark. So you think Legos are bad uh-huh. when you step on them. Try, like, stepping on your kid's scriptures. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> or try stepping on, I don't know, uh, his laptop. Mm-hmm. Why is it they cannot pick it up to go down? I think they're they walk tired. Past it many they're times. tired. They're tired. I'm glad you have a good excuse because I don't think my boys have any. Excuse. I think it's a sign that they need a, a whipping. A w- there That's you go. I'm, oh, somebody oh. needs a whipping. Where's the whip sound, man? We don't. D- maybe yeah. He, that's he's got so many sounds. I know. Locked and loaded. Poor Ben. Poor Ben. You could do that. Yeah, that's when they not... don't put the whole the clothes inside. By the, the way, hamper. at the very end of that, you can hear him tip over the Legos. Mm-hmm. Let's try that one more time. Listen for the Legos. Uh, yeah, they go Legos everywhere. Yeah. Today, happy uh, Guacamole Day, happy Play-Doh Day, and happy Collect Rocks Day. Yeah, I, I actually found a new like chewing sound. What? For Let's Kathy, hear it. So. Mm. You like that better, Kathy, than the moist chewing? Wait a minute, hold on. Is that che- the, that's like a, a bunch of bugs? Or What's something? a gerbil? Oh, it's a well, gerbil. No, the the description says carcass devour. Oh, it's a vulture eating attack. a carcass. Yeah, it's yeah. bugs eating a, yeah. uh, a carcass is what it's sounding like. Just a bunch of bugs. Yeah, I don't think you found it yet. You yeah. got to keep. Okay. Yeah, we got to get another but, one. But that, Kathy, well, that didn't work. She likes a great. She likes a great. No. Don't get me wrong. She likes a great carcass. <laughs> <laughs> eating sound. Hey, did you hear about this? Uh, did you hear about this Russian woman that drags a tram car weighing nearly 19 tons? Hmm. She the strongest woman in the world, or something? Well, apparently, uh, a Russian woman powerlifter flexed her way into the country's record books by dragging a nearly 19 ton tram car downhill. Uh-huh. Was it downhill? Uh, it was. It was uphill both ways. 16.4 <laughs> feet. She dragged that 19 ton car. That's a lot mm-hmm. of weight, 38,000 yeah. pounds. And uh, it's a national record now. You know. It's not a world record? It's got to be no. a world record. No, no, no. She said, I was preparing to move a plane, but eventually ended up with just a tram car. Mm-hmm. Trains are, planes are a lot harder to find. <laughs> Plus with security heightened. Hey, like, what's that Russian woman doing near the airplane? <laughs> She's just going to back up. She's got a plane. Where's Svetlana? Okay, hit it, Svetlana. Pull the plane back. <laughs> beep, beep. We uh, oh. her goal though is to someday move two or maybe even three maybe four trams. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of weight. A lot of people just need a job. She must have very big legs, is what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want those to judge. Thighs, I don't know? want yeah, to judge. No, you can't say I, I can. You it's can say that. Good. Yeah, you can totally say probably that. Got those you know large thighs yeah. and calves. Yeah, that's something mm-hmm. you just men don't want to see. Man, no. your legs are huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Did these make my legs look fat? <laughs> nope. No. That really tight know. outfit does, though. <laughs> yeah, those yoga pants. Don't wear those anymore. <laughs> Can you, that's pretty sad. Pretty sad, but totally true. Let's, uh, let's go to the headlines with Kathy. Find out what else is going on around the country. Good morning, everyone. Light rain and cooler temperatures have helped California firefighters in their battle to contain two massive blazes near Sacramento that have burned hundreds of homes. The Valley Fire west of the city went from 15% contained to 30%, and the Butte Fire to the east of the city was 40% contained as of last night. The death toll from flash floods in southern Utah has climbed to 16 now, 12 of those coming in the town of Hilldale, where two vehicles filled with women and children were washed away. The other four deaths came in a slot canyon in Zions National Park. It's pretty much like one of our worst nightmares. So literally, as soon as the rain started coming, um, people started to, you know, worry about about the flash flooding in the area. Zion Park Ranger Allie Baltris. Three other hikers are still missing in the canyon, and one is still unaccounted for in Hilldale. It's important to note that right now, as we're in the rescue recovery phase, that this is all basically hand searching and operations. No heavy equipment at this time. So it's, it's really uh, labor intensive. Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Meanwhile, Utah officials are urging residents in those areas to boil water before drinking since the water quality may have been compromised. The second GOP presidential debate will take place tonight on CNN. Carly Fiorina, who was criticized by Donald Trump recently, said she'll be happy to discuss Trump's business record tonight and said he will, quote, be hearing quite a lot from her at tonight's debate that begins at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has come up with what he calls Plan B to block President Obama's Iran nuclear deal. McConnell's plan says before sanctions can be lifted, four Americans jailed in Iran must be released and they must also recognize the right of Israel to exist. The measure could be voted on tomorrow. According to Fox News, two sources close to the case in the death of an Illinois police officer say evidence suggests Joseph Glenowitz could have shot himself. On September 1st, Glenowitz radioed in that he was pursuing three suspects on foot. Minutes later, he was found shot and killed. Authorities are reportedly waiting for the results of ballistic tests to see if it matches the officer's own service weapon. The case is still being actively investigated as a homicide, but they say they won't rule out suicide. Hungary declared a state of emergency yesterday as migrants continue to flood its border. Hungary's foreign minister says his country will next build a fence along its border with Romania. Serbia and Romania are condemning Hungary's decision, trying to crack down on migrants trying to escape war and poverty in Syria. And Matt, do you fight with your kids to make their beds every morning? No. Okay. Well, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> According it to scientists, apparently if you leave your bed unmade, the million or two dust mites yes. who share the bed might die off. Love it. Yeah. So the bugs are happiest in warm, moist environments. So something as simple as leaving the bed unmade, don't do the bug sound, can remove moisture from the sheets and mattress yeah. so the mites dehydrate and die. Yep. See, you don't want those crawling all over. Yeah, so just don't make your bed. It sounds pretty dry yeah, in my bed. Yeah, but one professor disagrees, saying most homes are humid enough that the bugs will thrive anyway. So, well, I don't know. It's why, a good excuse, right? Just leave your bed unmade. Let's just make a rule. If mm-hmm. your bed is really moist, <laughs> uh-huh. then you need to... Probably change your sheets. <laughs> <laughs> you need to see a doctor. That's what you need to do. I mean, like, is that a problem? Do people, I guess a lot of people get the night sweats or something? It must be, yeah. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Oh, that's so, so dumb. Yeah. So you, next time your wife asks you to make the bed, say, you know what? If I do, we're going to have dust mites all yeah. over us. So, you know, leave it un, leave it unmade. Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> if I if she just heard this sound. I hear this sound when I put my head on a pillow. Ooh. Do you hear you this? Better change your, you better to get a new pillow. Yeah. My pillow is kind of weird. Does, does your head start itching when you yeah. put your head? Yeah. Just there right now, it itches. Those are the one, one million to two million dust mites on your pillow. Are there really that many? So it says. Man, those things are hungry. <laughs> Shut them up. Um, wow, you just grossed me out. You did it again, Kathy. You done grossed me out. Well, um, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to try uh, something different uh, this hour. We're going to. We're just. We're going to ask questions. Actually, I don't know how this is going to work, but Terry's put together some questions that I think he thinks are going to spark a conversation. It's getting to know each other a little bit better. You know, with the new school year, you always play those getting to know you games. We're going to do something like that. Stick with us, folks. Getting to know you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, this hour we wanted to uh, just get to know you better or get to know each other better, I guess. Terry, is that how you phrase this? You have interesting questions that you say are the most interesting questions on the earth. They're interesting. I don't want to oversell this. Okay. I don't want to undersell it. No, do not undersell it. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast. Okay. The host came on, asked the was guest. Was it the Kardashians one that you no, love? No. Okay. It was th- that is good though. That's was, a great one. <laughs> if you need a good laugh. The host came on and he talked to the guest for a few minutes. Then he started asking these questions which weren't really connected to anything. Uh-huh. But they were uh, they helped you find out about this person who was very interesting. Interesting. But it helped draw out certain aspects of that person's life that wasn't about his expertise but about him as an individual. Okay, so these are dis- disconnected but interesting questions about somebody that's interesting or for somebody that's interesting but that has nothing to do with what they would normally talk and, about. And the whole point is I don't think people know a lot about you. They don't know. I think they know what you have decided to share. Yeah, well, they, yeah. They don't know about the thing. And then every day you, the thing. you come on the air yeah. and you ask other people things. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you'll you'll toss in something like the chest hair thing, which was scary, but that's fine. But totally true. And <laughs> I, I think more insight into who you are okay. would, would help the listener know where but, you're coming from. Do you, so you're saying you want more insight into who I am other than my chest hair. See, now I know yeah. because we work and it's off the air and we mm-hmm. mess around. And you know how deep I am. We'll start talking and all of a sudden we'll stop, shut the door. Yeah. Start to cry. Just to save employment, shut the door, yeah. and then have a discussion. And then we cry. Yeah, and then, no, there's no crying. Oh, come on. Let's be honest. There's no emotion. If we're going to be honest, Man. yesterday you're like, I'm sad. And I'm no. like, Terry, what's you, wrong? You I did in, look a little teary-eyed. Terry. I was in a good mood. Well, he looks teary-eyed. I had a tooth ripped out of my face. That's true. Over the weekend. Oh, by a medical okay. professional. Tell us about it. But I, I'm, I'm high on vitamin I right now. 
Vitamin I. Ibuprofen. Oh, I love vitamin I. I think it's the reason why I'm here today. Really? No, it's not that bad. Okay. It is weird once you have a tooth. Have a dr- yeah. It's been there for 37 years, mm-hmm. and now it's gone. Do you have a dry socket? No. Do you have a wet socket? Probably. Toad the wet sprocket? No. Polywana socket? Band. It's a uh, dry socket's when they pull your tooth out, and it's supposed to be healing, but then because you create a vacuum, you suck out, Oh. and then you now have a dry, open nerve socket. No. It's also the beginning to the road to H-E double hockey sticks. Wow. <laughs> That's the technical term for it. I don't know what dentists right. call it. But it's a it's the road to H E W. So if I had any emotion, it's because of my my okay. dental issues. Okay, well that's good. But they're fixed. That's good. So questions. Questions. Uh, you've told us about your kids. Uh-huh. You have four, six, six kids, six kids that so I yeah. know of, <laughs> that I'm aware of. Six I have six kids. kids. Six you're, be- a girl and five beautiful boys. And your first grandkids on the way. Yes, Kike. And you're trying to stay out of the way, but in the way at the same time. Yes, and there's that awkward maneuvering like, hey, if you want me in there, I'll be in there. If you want me out of there, I'll in be where? in the in delivery room. No. I'll be wherever my daughter wants me. Wow. I didn't want to be in the delivery room Oh, it was for my own kid. Yeah, oh, I loved it. I held my wife's hand. and Did you cut the cord? No. Oh, that was the They offered. I went, no, you take care of that. That's you know gross. what? I went around for charity. <laughs> I cut everyone's cord. Because a lot of people don't want to cut the cord. So I'm like, if anyone needs a cord cut, call me. And no. I would go in and cut other people's cords. No, they, they offered. I said, no, I'll, I'll be up here. I'll be supportive of the mother. <laughs> and she was freaking out. So I, I helped her out. And there was no way you I was going. You would have passed no. out. And then I go, just hand me the kid when you're done with him. You know? Oh, that is the most magical moment on earth. I great. remember when Ben was born. Do you remember? Yeah. That was a one, What? Do you remember when we just walked in that lady's delivery room? And no. there's this cute little translucent boy. Cute as can be. Do you remember? And behold, there was Ben. There was Ben with that. And that's when he made started making that really ugly mouth sound. Um, so you have kids. Yeah, I have kids. You have a grandkid on the way. Yep. Beside your kids. Yes. What is your greatest life achievement? Because mm. everyone goes, oh, you know, my kids and they're wonderful eh, people. Yeah. And we get that. Beyond your kids, your beyond greatest, family, or beyond... because I would say my marriage. Okay, okay. I have yeah, a twenty-six-ish, yeah, yeah. six-ish, yeah. twenty, twenty. So now you're going to get in trouble. Your marriage. She'll text you can't, me. You can't nail the number. Fill me in in a minute. Twenty-something uh, year marriage. What, what what achievement in your life? Okay, outside of family, kids, all that is your uh, greatest achievement. Do you feel? Um, I made a cardigan sweater once. Okay, that was today. <laughs> No, uh, honestly, the most, the greatest is a PhD because I'm not a student. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I look like it. And uh, Now tell us again what, what's the PhD. I have a, I have a PhD. You make us call you doctor all yeah. around uh-huh. the office. Just... I, have a, I have a PhD in um, gastrology. No, I have a PhD in uh, human and organizational development. Okay. HOD, basically. Human and organizational systems. And... It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was five and a half years of absolute torture. And, oh, there's my wife. 25 years, almost. <laughs> almost 25 years of marriage. And she piped I, right in. That's what, you you catch your text So right she's there. by far my most important accomplishment, landing and finding a beautiful woman and that's smart and intelligent and that knows dates. Yeah. Second would be uh, my PhD. Because that really, I, I'm not... I love to learn, but I hate to 
like study and write papers and dance like a monkey. There was a point in college where I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. I really enjoyed you the still research. Can be. I know, but you could do a blog. I tried that for a while. How'd that go? Eh, it didn't quite catch on. It was kind of a slow process and I didn't like how the end product sounded as I read it back to myself <laughs> or as I had other people read it and I'm like, eh. Yeah. That's hard because you're you're putting your words out there and then people judge them and then No, that see that's the deal. Eh. See, but that that's the deal cuz then you're vulnerable. Yes. And that's you have to I had to pass that same thing getting the doctorate because you're vulnerable. And what if my ideas aren't great? And what if I And then the whole process fail? for your thesis is oh. you put it in front of experts and they rip it apart. Oh yeah. And it's just a joke. I mean, they rip it apart to help you, but yes. they know cuz if 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 your dissertation doesn't work, it's because they were all sleeping. <laughs> they all were sleeping through it. So it's just a rite of passage, but man, it they they took every ounce of blood out of me. So that by far the greatest accomplishment. The rest of life was really very easy. What's the most interesting place that you have traveled? Oh, Interesting place that I've traveled. Israel. Why? Because uh, they're, they're having all of this. I don't know what's going on. Have you ever heard of Il-Aqsa Mosque? No. If there's something going on right now. In fact, I'm looking it up. Uh, which is on the Temple Mount. Oh, yeah. So I the Gold about, yeah. Dome, there's a mosque on top of that. I heard someone no, talking about Al-Aqsa that. it's Al-Aqsa Mosque. And uh, there's like an uprising there. And so police had to go storm the mosque, Israeli police, which is – this is all controlled by Muslims, right? And it's it's sacred. At the top of this – this is on – so right above the Wailing Wall where the Jews are all praying. I heard this morning it's the third most sacred yeah. place in all of Islam. So we went there, my wife and I, kind of on a honeymoon, but it was a family tour. We went with our families and we <laughs> we were warm for each other's forms to put okay. it nicely. Yeah. We, we were still in the honeymoon stage and loving on each other and we're walking up toward the third most holy site in all of the Muslim world. A major religion. Yeah. And we're hanging on each other and holding hands and – like two guys run up with machine guns and like get on us like wow they started no they didn't no, shoot. but they it all of a sudden turns into diehard and they're just like they made us break hands wow and they were mad and so it was like a really extreme yeah. church dance it was like it was like a church dance on steroids <laughs> totally like you're too close and so that's and then we saw a lot of cool things I wrote that's the first time I rode a camel okay. Which, that, was that your honeymoon? No, no. It was a trip soon. That was uh, it was like a year after. Okay, yeah. But wow, uh, you were a camel. That was cool. And guys ran up with you with machine guns. Mm-hmm. I almost died. Wow. Uh, I'm not going to mention too much more, but we went through security, and let's just say they had trouble opening my bag. Okay. <laughs> this is totally a true story. <laughs> they had trouble opening my bag. So it was scary because they're like, you guys. Don't mess with Israeli security. Just – and they're not going to take all of us because there was a tour of about 30, I don't know how many, 40 of us. But just just whoever they call out, just get up there, let them go through the bag, and you'll just take it for the rest of us basically. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just have magnetism. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've noticed that. So people just – I'm naturally Different drawn. Different forms. They're, drawn, they're naturally drawn to me. Yeah. Mine, mine is more of a 
masculine animal sort of magnetism. Yeah, musky. Yours is like Yours musky. is like a suspicious, yeah, like, crazy type. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, so I always get called out by uh, the police. And they what TSA TSA this is pre TSA but this was Israeli TSA they call which it the is, expanded search mm-hmm. okay. oh pretty much and they were going through my they they were trying to open my luggage and every time she'd pull it open it would shut closed and I'm like oh geez what's going on there and it's like there's a monkey inside trying to keep the thing closed and she, she'd pull it open and it, it would just get pulled closed and I'm like what is the deal and out of nowhere. She pulls, 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 and when I look at it, I'm like, whoa. Um, I see that some underwear, some briefs yeah. were stuck. Oh, so the elastic was uh-huh. pulling the lid down. And she just gave it the old uh, Israeli heave-ho and pulled it open, and my briefs shot across security <laughs> on the other side of security. <laughs> like a slingshot. And all of a sudden, people start shooting. Um, it, was like clay, it was like clay pigeons. <laughs> I'm just shooting my briefs. And no. Uh, no, true story. And they- Like gunfire? No. No, oh, okay. no gunfire. And um, then, then I'm sitting there with my entire tour behind me and my briefs on the floor <laughs> about 10 feet away. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, Bruh. And I'm like, do you want me to go get those? <laughs> But I'd have to walk into her secure area. Yeah, so and she's not. like, "We've got him." I'm like, "Can I get him back?" <laughs> anyway, so uh, by far one of the greatest places I've ever visited, Israel. I mean, I've been just not to brag. I've been, I've been a lot of places. Yeah, but but Israel, Israel plus the other memories of yeah, Al Aqsa Mosque, where I I probably started an international incident. Then Israel, we tested the Israeli police and the. So you would recommend going to that mosque if you're maybe like 10, 15 years into a marriage where yes, where you're kinda, where you're fine not touching each yeah, other. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's kind of you're I'd just also hanging out at that point. Recommend if you go to Israel and you're going to go through customs um and and like secure your drawers, security, right? I just I wouldn't I wear boxers not briefs. <laughs> they don't fly as far. I'm just saying. I'm That's just funny. saying. Okay, we've got to take a break. See, these questions See, two, are fascinating. Two questions. Look at Th- that. That was two questions, and you brought up a bunch of stories I never, yeah. I would never tell publicly. There we go. And I'll never tell them again. that's the point. But now they're saved. Good stuff, folks. We'll take a break, uh, come back, continue getting to know, I guess, Matt. That's kind of embarrassing. Let's, we could ask Ben one. That's ah, kind of boring. Yeah. Ah, we'll do that. Eh, maybe. We'll find out. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the uh, Matt Townsend Show. Uh, before we get back to the questions, just really quickly, let's shoot it over to Ben. And Ben, if you would uh, tell us Arnold Schwarzenegger's name again. Schwarzenegger. Excellent pronunciation. Yeah. Schwarzenegger. You sound local. Yeah. Oh. And can, can you <laughs> my, tell me my what, heritage. what's the name of a hot dog in Germany? Ein Wiener. Say it again. Wiener. Ein Wiener. Ein means one. Yeah, or uh, 
or da? What is yes? Yeah. Yeah. What is schnell? Fast. Okay. What is schnitzel? Um, it's pounded meat that's breaded and fried. Sounds good. All right. This segment brought to you by Wiener Schnitzel. So a hot dog. You pounded. Because it's you know it's meat what's, and fried. It's kind of what's left over. They pack it all together and. Sounds good. Cook it up. You could put a little guacamole on it from uh, today. We're celebrating Guacamole Day. It's a good day. And we're doing a little get-to-know-you session where uh, these are just questions that you can ask anybody. These are, you could go ask your grandma these questions and get to know grandma. Yes. And Terry decided, hey, I'm, I'm not going to ask grandma. I'm going to no. ask Grandpa Matt. Soon to be Grandpa Soon Matt. Soon to be Grandpa Matt. What would be your favorite movie? Now, it, now this says a lot about you. My favorite movie that could be... Re- Created or that has already been? Let's go with a movie you have seen, okay. something you like to. Maybe you want to watch it multiple times. Yeah. No, this is easy. Uh, I got to remember the name of it. Um, that good, huh? Well, I'm, see, I don't remember names of hmm. movies. Well, I, I like I like a lot of – my favorite – I have two or three. Okay. Uh, if we're talking action-adventure kind hmm. of movie, um, The Italian Job. Okay. I like that movie. Great movie. Yeah. I Has a good car chase in it. A great car chase in a house. Yes. I mean, who gets to have a car chase Isn't in it a, a house? They're driving like Mini Coopers. Uh-huh. And, okay, yeah. Totally cool. So I like that movie. Um, but the, the Princess Bride is, I think, the best movie ever made. Yeah, that's fun. On Earth. Yes. Because it, it talks about marriage. 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 Yes. Is what brings us together today. So, uh, by far, my favorite movie. But even as that movie progresses, yeah. there's so much just nonsense going on. Oh, yeah. And, and the, Billy Crystal. You, you have on. a story, but then with every scene, there's yeah. just something ridiculous that happens that keeps it enjoyable. And that just is – now, if I were going to just be the simple, simplistic little Matt that I am, I would say Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Because that just – pound for pound, that is the best laugh Per minute. Now, Dumb and Dumber is good with a group of people. Yeah, you have to have friends. You watch it by yourself and you're like, huh, that was funny. It has to be late too. Yeah, you have to be a little punchy. A little punchy, yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're going to just critique it like this is This is dumb. But if you are a little off your game and with a group of people like-minded, it is so funny. Yeah, if you have a mild infection like running in your body, so if you're a little sick- yeah. You have just a subtle your, your immune system's compromised. Uh, a slow yeah. just a kind of a I don't know, just a little fever percolating. And it's late at night. Yeah. Uh leave your serious friend home. Right. And let's just say you're on a few meds just because you you're sick. Then a little NyQuil it's or hilarious. something. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh NyQuil. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. a little drowsy. Then See, everything's just funny, it's on a different level. <laughs> great it's so pathetic i always say that my favorite movie is dumb and dumber and people judge me yeah like, don't judge me that's why i cautioned I you sin differently than you do <laughs> right i mean i don't want to quote church leaders but don't judge me because i watch dumb and dumber and you'd rather watch like gone with the wind yeah i mean let's get real they're both messed up <laughs> one's just respected for filmmaking and the other one yeah. is and Jim Carrey, yeah. yeah, which isn't. What is your greatest fear, both fictional mm. and in real life? Fictional fear is the fear of failure. It's never happened, but it terrifies me. 
I'm it, awesome always, but I mean, you know, there's that possibility. It, there's a possibility I could fail, and that terrifies me. Uh, real fear? Um, oh. Ooh. I, I guess fictional would be, is there like a movie or something of that nature you've seen that has scared you and stuck with you? Mm-mm. Maybe a, a story someone told you? Because no. there's like, there's, for me, there's Halloween stories I was told as a kid. Yeah. Like you're walking down into a, into a dark basement. That scares you. And I ha- always have sort of a second thought. Yeah, like someone's going to grab your leg. Yeah, I'm like, uh, okay, no. we're fine. I'm an adult. Mine's kind of like that. Whoever it is, I'm probably bigger than, so we're fine. Oh, yeah, and you're afraid like a monster's going to get you and then, you know, chew on your carcass. Yeah, I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, I was eight. Yeah. Now, I don't have that fear, but okay. it's similar. I, I have a fear that someday someone's going to say, hey, Matt, come get in the pool. <laughs> and I'm going to have to take my shirt off. It's the taking your shirt off thing, right? And walk across in front of everyone and get in the pool. That's pretty much my biggest fear. It's kind of a mental walk yeah. of shame. Well, you take your you take your shirt off, and then all of a sudden, all you're left is with your sweater. Yes, <laughs> that natural like, one. Right? My splotchy sweater. No, um, I don't. I you know what? I don't have a lot of fear of failure. Really, is my biggest fear because people have fear of. Like snakes, they have a fear of bugs. They have yeah. a fear of animals. I think I'm fairly rational. Like none of those exist in my world. Okay, because you just kill them with spray, <laughs> kill them with fire. So I have a really strong chemical, you know, um, w- moat around my living place, my house. So nothing's getting in there. Okay, I'm not afraid of bugs. I, I'm not afraid of smell. I mean, I'm not afraid of anything. Sounds, nothing scares me like that. I mean, I'll startle. Mm. Mine's, more, mine's more psychological fear, like, ugh, or like, or my kids getting hurt. I just watched a great movie we'll be talking about a lot um, mm. coming up uh, in the next few weeks by about Chris Williams' life where he lost four of his kids. That's a bigger fear, like a car accident that kills four members of your family. Horrible. That's a big for me. Those are great questions. We're going to do this more often. There's plenty of I them. feel like we need to do it because yeah, I feel like I got to know you a lot better. There you go. Which makes why you come – when you come cry in my office. Mm. Why are we going back to this? Because I just think it's neat. One, Nobody it's thinks, never happened. Everyone thinks you're so hard-nosed, but you're, you're a tender heart. Nah. Okay. We never even got to Ben. Bummer. Ben's so quiet. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on there. Stick with us, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You can just imagine Spencer sneaking back onto the set because he's always coming in right about now, jumping on. Jerem, they're trying to wake him up. Let's shoot it down to BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on with our good gentleman down there. Hello, gentlemen. One of the great themes, jingles of all time. Don't you love... (laughs) Um, That sounded a little hillbilly. You just, Jeremy, you just took it hillbilly. Howdy. Howdy, folks. Hey, um, how you doing? We are fantastic. And I'll have you know, I have been on this set since 920. Wow. 
We taped an interview. Yep. Somebody's an early bird. <laughs> oh, you're just taping interviews. We taped an interview. You guys, you know what? Nobody works harder. T- you won't be able to tell in the show, though. That's the thing. See, no, it'll just it'll be seamless, and you guys will just pretend like. I dare you to try and find it. I'll find it. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think you will. Okay, I'm going to find have, it now. Our we crew have mastered this. Legit. So one of your three or four interviews today will be recorded. I get to decide or choose which one. I'm mm-hmm. going to find out. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I will report. Okay. I will do my report. We will quiz you tomorrow. Okay. Quiz away. Make sure, Ben, that we write that down because I don't want to forget that. Uh, we will make sure that we come back and know that. I love that you have your peons write these things down for you. Uh-huh. Always on the chalkboard. Simpleton, you want me to put anything write this else down. down. No, that's good. Okay. Simpleton. Minions, write this down. Hey, did you guys hear this crazy dude, Martin Strell? 60-year-old marathon swimmer has announced that he's going to swim around the world. One, why? I know. And two, wow. I know. And three, why? (laughs) And four, he's dead. (laughs) The dude's going to die. It's a 10,000-mile around-the-world voyage, all to draw public attention to the increasing aquatic pollution. He's going to – it's going to take 450 days – that's how you're going to draw attention to it? Yeah. I mean, by the it? way, he's starting I, He's starting in Long Beach. Okay. So if he makes it out of Long Beach, I mean, this guy's going to be dead before he's out of Long Beach. He's starting in the worst part of it. <laughs> totally. And um, passing through oceans, rivers, canals, other bodies of water, more than 100 con- countries. He'll swim about 5 to 12 hours each day. Holy cow. Wow. An escort boat will accompany him just, you know, for small breaks. How long is this supposed to take? It's going to take 70 years. <laughs> they expect him to be 130 by the time he finishes. No, I think, let's see. I'm trying to see. It will take, um, can you believe it? It doesn't say. Several months. Yeah, year, it doesn't say. Two. Five to 12 miles a day, and it's 10,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Several years? Yeah, it'll take years. And But he's already swam up the Piranha. Piranha. How did he, he make it through that? The, yeah, it was. he lost a leg. And the Danube in Eastern Europe and the Yangtze in China. He's already swum or sw- been swimming in all of these places. He's done swum the world already. Wow. Anyway, so I'm just saying... Let's not let's not do a foot race like Spencer did. Why don't you guys do a swim around the world? I can't think of anything more this show, undesirable. Man. Yeah, we have a show. But you could do the show from your little dinghy. You know? I mean, many, some say you already do we'll, the show we'll from a little the, dinghy. We'll talk to the suits. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it up with the important people uh, upstairs. Talk to the, we'll talk to the penguins. Hey, are you guys going to the company party Friday? Not party. Sorry. Meeting. I will be in Los Angeles. Oh, man. I was hoping we could hoop it up or something. Well, we can next time, but yeah, I, I've got work to do in Southern California. I've got to yeah. go see this swimmer guy off yeah. and uh, cover <laughs> the BYU-UCLA football game. You're going to cover that. <laughs> yeah. and That's going to be great. That's so neat of you to cover that. Okay, so I, I just did the math on my calculator here yeah. on my computer. 10,000 miles. Divided by, like, I said, okay, what if he did swam an average of eight miles a day? Yeah. 1,250 days. Holy cow. For three years. So more than three years. Man. That's dumb. I, I want there to be a follow-up. Like, he gives up in the first month. Like, what and is like, your, this does, guy gave up. Does he have no family? Does he have no family? No responsibility? No. Nothing? Mm-mm. Well, they died when he was doing the piranha. <laughs> he had a great <laughs> wife, but she was kind of, she was a little slow. 
And uh, I guess he That's couldn't terrible. see her in the wake. He just saw this froth behind That's him. Terrible. <laughs> it's sad. You know what? He sounds like it's a great guy. Story. Well, and you know what? That's how you get rid of your pain. I just keep thinking. Everyone I'm thinking, copes I'm thinking of the ways. laser beam sharks. <laughs> totally. <from Austin>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Laser beam sharks. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's. Uh, it's. It's ten thousand miles. I mean, didn't uh, Macklemore well, was... do a song about that? Ten thousand oh, yeah, miles. He's an outlier now. He's a you know the tipping point or whatever. Yeah, ten thousand hours. Ten thousand yeah, miles. He's a Gladwell. He's yeah. going to be a Gladwell chapter. Yeah. Me and Malcolm are tight. <laughs> you guys. Hey, are you still doing your show today? We are doing the show. Probably. And what What are you going to do it on real fast? Because I know you got to go. You know, manscape. Okay. I want you to fill in the blank, Matt. Okay. And you don't have to answer immediately. Okay. Well. But I'd like you to. Okay, I'll go first. Well, you kind of have to. If BYU beats UCLA. Seven. Then what? Ooh, oh, don't go there. You can't we go did. there. Oh, you're going there. Then we will. It's a Wednesday. <sighs> okay, but so if they beat UCLA, then what? Then we all, then we all freak out and it's all about Michigan. And then we think we should be number one. That's there usually how this people, goes. There are some State. people that... That will think if BYU wins at UCLA, they they deserve to be the number one team in the country. Over Ohio State, that just tell them be, to be quiet. Be I know, but that's know, just silly. We we easily could be two, but not one. That person lives in Orem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's the guy that never I can got hear to the play. Argument. Who has Ohio State played? Look at what BYU's done. Who they beat? Orem Come on, deserve to be number one. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. That just stresses me out. Oh, you're st- okay. You're stressed. I'm. I'm worried because I feel like BYU is playing with house money right now. Well, yeah. they are. They, Listen, they BYU's can't not lose. Supposed to win the game, right? They're not. They're, they're a 17 point underdog right, right. now, and they uh, they can't. They're, they're playing a number 10 team, right? So they're not going to go down. I mean, unless they look horrible. Yeah, you never want you never yeah. want to look horrible, but but the, if BYU, I I think that BYU's got a shot to win. If they don't happen to win the game and they lose, but they're competitive and then yeah. they win at Michigan, they'll still look good. They'll be ranked in the yeah. top twenty at three and one. And then then Michigan's kind of the equalizer. That's right, like Denzel Washington. Ooh, if BYU can get to three and one after September, are you kidding? Given me? everything oh. that's happened, yeah, Booyah no, Grandma. Yeah. That would be unbelievable. Did you say Booyah Grandma? Mm-hmm. Wow. Was she a Marine? Yeah, why? She was actually a swimmer. <laughs> was she? A swimming no, Marine? No, no, she wasn't. With yeah. the, like, cap and everything. Oh, that's great. Lunch lady cap. Mm. Those are the best Lunch kind. lady lady. You guys, that's a great question, and I'm going to listen now because I will decipher when the interview, okay. the pre-recorded interview was inserted into your show. Okay. I'll notice because one of you will have 5 o'clock shadow. Challenge issued. Mm -hmm. Okay, gentlemen, have a great show. As always, I know you will. Peace. Peace. And remember, pray for the swimmer. Beat the Bruins. And beat the Bruins. Kill them. Good job, guys. (sighs) They got a good deal going. I don't care what you say. They're good people. Good people. Man, did you hear about... uh, this guy, can I just, can we just make a rule to all people, especially you? Listen up, Ben. This is your generation. Yes, sir. Selfies. No. No. Say no to selfies. A man fired a shotgun through his bathroom mirror.
Not a shotgun. That was a missile, dude. Goodness. Get a shotgun sound. He fired a shotgun through his bathroom mirror while trying to take a selfie. Okay? People, you're dying because you're taking selfies with a shotgun. He didn't die. He didn't get shot. But uh, he did kill the neighbor next door. (laughs) No, he didn't. But that's... Okay. Not even close. Not even close. It's just one shotgun, one selfie. Just a little clickety-click. Come on, Ben. Logan. Okay, there's somebody fixing the wall after he shot it. Logan Douglas, 19. He's a 19-year-old. See, he's your age, Ben. How old are you, Ben? Um, depends who you ask. Yeah, 12. How old are you? You're, not, you're 21. Yeah. 21. He told the police that he accidentally shot around from the shotgun through his bathroom mirror. Police said he was trying to take a selfie at the time. What were you doing there, pal? I was just trying to, I was just trying to have my shotgun up and, and take a picture. Boom. Yeah. The round went into his neighbor's apartment. No one was injured. Douglas was arrested on suspicion of endangering safety by the use of dangerous weapons. Mm-hmm. Selfie death update. I'm going to start doing more of those. Death by selfie. It sounds, it sounds bad, but death by selfie. Hey, we always like to end the show uh, with a hero. We want you to see there's good in the world, folks. There's a lot of news. We hear it all the time, and life just seems so down and dreary and horrible, and it's not. 15-year-old hero here. Listen to this. According to Fox8.com, Auburn Township of Ohio, 9-11 calls uh, have been released after a 15-year-old boy jumped into Ladue Reservoir to rescue a man who drove his car into the water. The sheriff said that the driver of the car, Richard Caldwell, 30, experienced a medical issue before his Ford Focus careened into the water around 1230. 15-year-old Samuel Sell was fishing at the reservoir with his cousin. When they witnessed the car splashing into the water and stepped in to help, they just, like, floored it into the lake right down the ramp. And they're just sitting there in their car, uh, Sell's cousin told the 911 dispatcher. Nobody was really responding. Unable to get Caldwell's attention from the shore, Sell swam 100 feet toward the car and was ready to use his fishing knife to break the window to free Caldwell. 9-11 caller reported that Caldwell began beeping his horn but did not appear to be trying to open the door to escape. I started swimming out there and I started talking to him. I said, are you okay? At first he didn't really answer me. At first I was unsure what to do and then I was like, I need to do this because I think... Uh, I need to think things as as they are. He said, if this happened to me, I would want somebody to react and help me. Rescuers ended up responding and pulling Cell and Caldwell from the water. They credited Cell's quick action with help uh, in saving Caldwell's life. It's very rare we have somebody in the right place at the right time. Usually people don't want to get involved nowadays, and we're very proud he got involved, said uh, the assistant fire chief, Mike Cardaman. Cool stuff. 15-year-old boy, well done. You are my hero of the day. Thanks for just getting involved and assisting a fellow human being. Folks, we can't do the show without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you with your human project. 
making it through this crazy thing we call life. Until tomorrow, take care and make it a great one.